What right. is happening, Jeff? All right, first question I got to figure out. I don't know if you've talked about this yet. Did you and Ricky get anything sorted out today? No. Okay. There was a big crowd for Ricky. There was a chance that BK and I or just I would, was going to get to interview him. I'm not going to spring that question on him if it's in like a just a like a simple quick meet and greet scenario. Right. It'll be part of a longer conversation that I believe will be an entertaining conversation for the masses. I, I didn't know if there was enough time for that today. I didn't figure there was, but if there needed to be, if that needed to be discussed today, I wanted to make sure we got it out in the open first. So, so th- through circles, and I guess circles is uh, through Bucky's son, AJ, who mm-hmm. I got to meet in person for the first time today. He has asked Ricky about this before because he has been asked about it, not by me, but by other people. And Ricky's like, I have no idea. So Ricky may really not know or may not remember, or he may know and just wants to hold on to it until he can tell me in person what a miserable piece of crap I am. Or he's still doing it and is like, he's ribbing you at this point. That could be part of it. He just wants to keep making you trying to guess what it is. I've always had a dream about, I dream a lot about Ricky Williams, Jeff. I always had a dream about talking to Ricky before we actually officially have the conversation and say, you've got to just, you've got to go into outer space with your explanation. Like just accuse me of some really heinous stuff that I can play along with to just trump things up even more. Like, well, Trey, I saw a reference to Hitler on your timeline and uh, that really got me thinking. Mm, maybe I'm going to have to reconsider just how far I'm willing him to take that one. <laughs> so we, at least we know there's a line. There's a line that can't be crossed. What's well, up, CB? I, I see you in the chat. I, I tried to convince BK to bet on, well, we wouldn't have ended up betting on the World Series because neither of us wanted to bet against the Rangers for stakes that included embarrassment. Because he's growing out that wheezy, pedo-looking mustache for November, my yeah, suggested bad. bet before we knew the Rangers were going to be in the World Series was the loser had to wear the Charlie Chaplin mustache for a week at the end of November. Mm. Mm. Said, I can't yeah. do that, man. I said, but you can, though. Just like your people, it's uh, as I've said to him, it's kind of your N-word. Like, you have the ability to dress like Hitler for Halloween and not get in trouble for it. Mm. See, I don't know. That's... Uh... That's not even crossing a line. That's I don't know what that is. That's something. Yeah, probably not. I'm gonna honestly anything that is in the realm of impersonating and or replicating Hitler is probably just not good. No, it's not. But if it's you probably, get away with it, yeah, as I'm saying, I don't think you can get away with it. I just think there's some there's some historical figures where. Just can't do that, man. That's the N-word for the Jewish folk. You can dress like Hitler for Halloween and get away with it. That is their N-word. That would be like if your buddy says, uh, if you're if you're like, hey, what are you going to go as for Halloween? And your buddy says, well, I'm working on this great Osama bin Laden costume. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Like, there's oh. just, there's a list of historical figures where you just can't, you can't do that. You could, I think you can get away with dressing up like Osama bin Laden. No, he's on the list. He's on the list of just on this list. (sighs) Genghis Khan? Probably, yeah. Um, Really? Yeah, there's just I mean, 
look, if we're gonna if we're gonna start canceling, like if we're gonna cancel, you know, like I know he attempted to get canceled. It's, it's weird how much more popular he is now since it happened. But like Shane Gillis, they, they, people attempted to cancel him from something he said on a podcast years before. Like if if society will accept that, then yeah, I think the cancellation of Hitler should continue in, in perpetuity. And then there's a certain historical figures where that needs to happen. There doesn't need to be a, like a, a period where Harvey Weinstein, you can't do a Harvey Weinstein costume for how long. Oh, see, I think you can do the Harvey Weinstein costume, but if you're going to do the Harvey Weinstein costume, you have to do the costume with his rotting member. Cause he's got some <laughs> disease where his, his member is just wasting away. Like, you have like you evident. Did he legit have like unit cancer or something? It's it's something like that. It's not cancer, but it's like the like some sort of flesh eating disease down there. Yeah, and his his, uh, his manhood was mutilated. You just mentioned Shane Gillis. Have you seen his YouTube special and his newer special that is now on Netflix? I have not. I I see a lot of the. Uh, it's kind of one of those deals where if I see that something's got you know if it's more than ten minutes, I'm like okay, I need to block out time for that. Mm-hmm. But he's like a little like you know, four or five minute clip. I'm all about it. I, I've seen some of his clips of interviews and stuff he's done. He he's pretty, he, he fascinates me. He is interesting because he is straight out of the, I don't know, 1980s, early 1990s. Yeah. Regards to how he speaks. He's hilarious, by the way, I've seen him in person. I've also seen the Netflix special and he is now a, a new citizen of Austin too. He just moved Man. last couple of weeks. You're you're right. It's the the capital city. Our Fairburg is now maybe the comedy mecca of America. It's up there with New York, L.A., and then I think Chicago to a lesser degree. But it is definitely on that list now. There are one, two, three, four. There are four world class stand up comedy joints in the city now. Five, if you want to count the Sunset Strip, which I believe is owned by Brian Redband, who is a part of that Rogan crew. And they've all got really good comedy happening pretty much every night of the week. CD said something in the chat that apparently Steven Tyler is getting canceled for some recent accusations. What did he do? I saw that sexual assault accusations back in the 1970s. Uh... Okay. Two, two different women have come forward saying that he sexually assaulted them in the 1970s. Assaulted her when she was a teen in 1975. Okay. That's not that's not good. That's not good. I don't know if the uh, the time limit runs out on something like that either. I, uh, by no means, am I a legal buff, but I think that falls under there are certain crimes where, like murder... Anything involving someone who's underage, and there's maybe something else, but I don't believe there's a statute of limitations. Statute of limitations. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Statutory um, of limitations, perhaps in Steven Tyler's case. Well, there's something involving statutory that doesn't fall under statute of limitations, where there is no statute of limitations. But yeah, you know what? Actually, Trey, let's play a fun little game before we get into talking about football. Oh boy. We'll look at what crimes in Texas. Have no, well, th- thank you, Google, for this. Uh, murder and manslaughter, it's, you know, understandable. Continuous sexual abuse of young children, sexual assault, but there's like caveats to it. Uh, aggravated sexual assault, 
not gonna not gonna bore everybody reading all these various penal codes and what have you. Um, there we go. Uh, indecency with a child leaving the scene of an accident. If the accident resulted in a death, has no statute mm. of limitations. Sexual assault if the identity of the perpetrator is unknown. Trafficking of people. Uh, and there's penal codes attached to that or continuous trafficking of persons. So pretty much the most heinous stuff in our society has no statute of limitations in the Lone Star State. Yeah, look, the cancel culture thing got out of control right around the start of COVID and just after COVID really ramped up in March of 2020. But it still has to be taken in a case-by-case basis. Like if somebody's getting canceled because they were rapping back when they were teenagers and they said the N word, like that person's life shouldn't be canceled. It's stupid of them what they did to put that on tape like that, but that shouldn't mean the end of somebody's life. But if you have somebody who is a serial rapist, serial sexual assaulter, who in a lot of cases was doing it from a position of power like Harvey Weinstein was, or people might point to somebody like Kevin Spacey. Then yeah. That's a different story. That that person needs to roast for the yeah. heinous way with which they have treated and harmed others. Yeah. The, the, like the one I had a problem with this immediately came to mind where you're like, okay, it crosses a line. Like when Kevin Hart got canceled from hosting the Oscars, and I'm not saying what he said is right, uh, but it but was, he was over. He was a comedian making a joke, though. Yeah. Between. So this would have been. If I'm not, remembering correctly. Yeah, seven to nine years before that. Like, yeah. okay, do you really need to try to end a guy's career because he admittedly said something that he probably shouldn't have? But he, like you said, it's in the it's in the comedic form. So how much does it apply? Like that's the kind of stuff where it's like I, I think we're getting you're you're getting a little too carried away with it. Yes. And you also have to keep in mind the world that was trying to hold his feet to the fire on that one. Hollywood and Southern California is a world that's rife with virtue signaling too. And it's a world that's also rife with hypocrisy. But I think that's one of the big reasons why we've seen a sort of renaissance with stand-up comedy and why it's so cool that Austin finds itself as a stand-up Mecca right now is that the response to that, to the response to the ridiculousness it's essentially the thoughts and prayers of trying to show everybody that you know what the right thing to say is in a situation. Oh, like that's say a good that, one. Yeah. You say that, but what do your actions speak to? Like, are you doing anything if you feel that strongly about it? Or are you just saying it to make sure everybody understands you know how you're supposed to feel in, in a given spot? Yeah. So stand-up comedy is truly one of the last – that stage for stand-up comedy is one of the last places – that you can get away with saying things that are politically incorrect as long as you're not doing so in a hateful manner, as long as you are trying to hit both sides of a particular topic, assuming that there is a both sides to be had, but that you're also doing so in a manner that maybe drives to a larger point. And so Shane Gillis yeah. is, is maybe even a step beyond that because Shane Gillis's bit, like he, he's actually a really smart guy, mm-hmm. but Shane Gillis is known. It's kind of known for calling everything gay. Well, that's <laughs> what, did he, what did he say? He, I heard him in an interview. He introduced himself in an interview. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm the only stand up comic who's, uh, 
who's ever uh, served in the U.S. served in the U.S. been a cadet at West Point and played Division One football, and I'm technically right about both of those things because hmm. he technically is right about those things. He just never. I think he was at West Point for a month. Yeah, six weeks, something like that, and then he was on. I forgot what school he was at, but well, Ball State maybe I forget, but never hmm. actually played, and then ended I- up giving up football. I'd known that he was at West Point. I didn't realize that he had tried to play college ball someplace else too. Yeah, it might not have been Ball State. It was either it, it was either a lower level FBS or an FCS school where he tried. Ball, to, ball tried State to does make sense because I believe he's a big Notre Dame fan. I think he's from that part of the country too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's from Pennsylvania. I know that. Pennsylvania. Okay, so close-ish. It's like saying that uh, somebody from New Mexico is from Texas, kind of. But Elon, e- Elon College, that's where he. Uh, he Elon, Rick Barnes, former school. Uh, no, Rick. Rick was Lenora Ryan, I thought. Oh, you may be right about that. But that's you he know, was- Kelvin Sampson's Pembroke State. So it's all, it's it's all it's like the the lower level Tobacco Road. All those schools are there together. Elon is a uh, crossword clue that I encounter sometimes. Yeah. North Carolina College, four letters. E L O N. You forget how many uh, when I went to North Carolina for uh Craigway's wedding, actually it was the wedding was in South Carolina, but we were stayed in North Carolina. It, you forget how many like major universities are in that state. Like you wouldn't think of North Carolina as this like bastion of education, but you know NC State, Wake Forest, North Carolina, you know, Chapel Hill, you got Duke. Um, you've got East Carolina out on the coast. Um, and then like we said, you know, you go to your your Lenore Ryan's, your Elon's, your Pembroke States, like it's education's booming in uh, the Tar Hill State, Trey. Yeah, and Duke obviously has a very reputable medical school, and it is the place or the last known place that I read about that was trying to invent the invisibility cloak <laughs> they were like pretty far along with regards to bending light to yeah. make something look see-through if you had an in- invisibility cloak what is the first thing that you would do with it other than go uh, invisible i mean is there really anything else you need to do you could go i don't know <laughs> Go go rob someplace. Yeah. Um. Man, I honestly have never pondered that question. Like sneak onto a flight. I'm trying go to think someplace. Of like, what, what someplace? Huh. The problem is, is this isn't like teleportation. Yeah, yeah. Where you can like tuck, you can grab hold of your family members, and you can all go to Hawaii without having to yeah. buy the plane tickets or take the amount of time that it takes to fly to Hawaii and just pay for your lodging. Like the the invisibility cloak is a pretty lonely place to be. Could could you do something along the lines of like mess with somebody when they're trying to do something important. Like if there's somebody, I don't know if let's say this Texas legislature is in session and somebody's up there doing a filibuster, could you know, grab their hands and make them slap themselves in the face or something like that. Just a, a nice comedic moment. I'd, I'd want to do something like that. Oh man. Somebody really important, like kick them in the junk. So they just fall over and everyone's like, what the heck happened? 
you know, give, I guess you can't give him a wet willy, but give somebody like Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick a wet willy or a noogie. Or a wedgie where you just randomly see like somebody's drawers like rip in half while they're like, ah, just writhing in pain. Yeah. The atomic wedgie, yes, where you get the band over their head. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff we talk about on Fridays in the happy hour here. Trey, hey, by the way, thanks for everybody that showed up at uh, Cover B Cave today. Yeah, I was uh, happy to see you out there too. That was an unexpected surprise. I haven't haven't made one of those this year and figured I'd, I'd make my presence felt, so... Uh, Jason, who I know listens to this show, uh, I don't know. He'll, he'll probably stop by in the chat at some point. Uh, it was good to see him and, and a few other people. So I know some people got to, got to meet Ricky and get some, I, I guess, photos and autographs and whatnot. So yeah, so it's a good, good little, good little time today out of Cobra B cave. Yes, it was. And Ricky is in town to celebrate. 25 years since he won the Heisman Trophy and obviously broke Tony Dorsett's record on that uh, Thanksgiving day against Texas A&M at DKR. Still my fondest memory from watching sports live. I was in the north end zone in student seats and just watching him take that handoff and run away from us. Man, that was so much fun. Loudest you've ever heard that place? It's in the category, mm-hmm. as as strange as it is to say in retrospect, like when Texas beat Notre Dame in overtime, <laughs> and what was Charlie Strong's last year, I believe, that was also extremely loud. Uh, that turned out not to matter at all, because Notre Dame sucked and Texas did too, but that was an exciting mm-hmm. point in time. Is that almost like saying the best vacation you ever went on was with an ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife? Like, yeah, it was good, but remember, we got divorced about date There, There is a little bit of that. It's like, man, this was so incredible what happened to us on that vacation. It's a shame that I can't share that memory with that person anymore because, well, we despise one another. Yeah. Do you know anybody, Trey, where the divorce, where like they were friends after the divorce? Because I don't think I know anybody where... There's a couple of examples that come to mind, and it... I think they all involve kids. So they're cordial to one another Mm -hmm. because they want to make sure that they can coexist for the sake of the kids. Yeah. I want to meet one of those couples where that kind of fascinates me where they're like, yeah, you know what? Just didn't work out. Still friends, but just decided we couldn't live together. So I met a guy, gosh, this would have been two or three years ago at this point who was telling a mutual friend that we were all just sitting there having a conversation that he was about to get divorced. Mm-hmm. And this guy was, I want to say in his late twenties or early thirties. And in saying that he was going to get divorced, he mentioned that they had tried uh, having uh, an open relationship for a period of time. <laughs> and of course this perks my ears up because that just, that idea has terrible idea written all over it, right? It's, it's like, this is the step before you decide to separate for good. It's like getting a face tattoo. It like it might sound like the thing to do, but you're going to immediately regret it. Yeah, whatever rationalization is going through your head right now, just just try and get it to quiet down. I realize <laughs> that you you're talking crazy to yourself right now. So I asked him about this. I'm like, well, can't help to be intrigued by this. 
And I'm like, this, this was destined to fail right from the get go. And he's like, yeah, it was a terrible idea. He's like, and she's the one who ended up having a bigger issue with it. Like we both tried to, to let things play out like that with mm-hmm. others. And she got super dre- jealous over it to the point that we had to completely stop the open relationship thing and try and fix our relationship. But by then it was done. Like, that's one of those deals where you should know, like, I don't know. It's the equivalent of, I I do know a couple people. My wife and I have a couple friends that have gotten divorced and one was a couple where you could tell like, this is not going to last for the long haul for a number of reasons. And then you find out, Oh, Hey, we're pregnant. We're having a baby and we're going to get married. We're like, not only is that not going to, it's not going to fix anything. That's adding like, you're just dousing the fire and kerosene at this point. Usually with those relationships, you know, like people are talking about it leading up to them getting married. Like what are the chances you give on this one lasting three years? <laughs> the odds are not usually good. They're, or they're, You're getting good odds on it lasting longer than three years. Cause there's no way that's going to hit. Yeah. That was one that I'm like, yeah, this is. And, but like, it, it wasn't just me, like everybody that was, that knew those couple and uh one like she's one of my wife's really good friends like she's she's awesome but we knew like that marriage was like it's that's that's getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing a -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at blue nile can help your love sparkle just choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I've got one friend who's in a relationship that I thought was a bad idea from the get-go, and now they're just in a miserable, loveless relationship where they have a couple of kids. And... I wouldn't be surprised if they were both cheating on one another. But then mm. I also have a good friend who he never got married to this girl, but as soon as like things started happening and they were they were getting together, mm-hmm. me and another friend were begging him to get away from her because they were like just bad news for one another. She also had some serious mental issues and it's like this is toxic from the get-go and if you don't separate yourself from this something bad could end up happening from it yeah and sure enough a couple months later she gets pregnant and now they have a daughter who is a teenager and he loves his daughter it's maybe yeah. his biggest purpose in life at this point the mom is essentially all but out of the picture at this point like she That's still tinkers sad. here and there but she lost custody because she was such a mess and so I'm happy for my friend, I guess, that at these this terrible string of decisions that he does have this child that uh, he can really transfer all of his hopes and dreams onto until she gets to adulthood. It was also just uh, very unfortunate how things played out because it was like as soon as she said that, he was like, wow, I should have listened to you guys. This was... A- <laughs> I did this to myself. I'm not stable financially. 
I'm not sure what direction I need to take my life in, but now all of that needs to change to make it all about her. That's awesome though, that he, that he had that kind of foresight, you know, you know, what else is, is good. You know, you've got a good group of friends when it, I, I don't know, Trey, if you had one of these relationships before you met your wife, I, I definitely did. And, and your friends are like, dude, this is, this is not going to end well. Like, I hope you're not planning on anything down the road. And you're just at that point in your life where, you know, it's, your priorities at that age in your early 20s are, are not very high anyway it's like hey what am i drinking tomorrow night and the night after that and the night after that but then you've got that group of friends that when it does like go down and, and everything crashes and burns are like all right come here buddy we're not going to tell you we told you so but let's well let's let's go let's it, it's going to be all right and yeah. then you get drunk and forget about it and move on yeah and i have one of those examples from my mid-20s and then in my late 20s i dated somebody for gosh, two to three years that my family did not like. And I don't think her family liked me very much. And we were just ignorant to it for one reason or another. And it ultimately ended. I was the one that ended it. And uh, yeah, it was like, we just, we waste, we just wasted a lot of time together when anybody who cared about us tried to let us know that this was not a good thing for you. Were you guys hell bent? Was one of you hell bent on trying to change the other one? Because that's usually those relationships. That's why they don't work. Like the ones before you meet your, you know, your wife or your husband, those are the ones where you're trying to change somebody and you're just basically you're just fighting an uphill battle the whole way. Yeah, I guess that may have been in play from my end to her, but I'm also just a rigid person. And if I see somebody doing something that I disagree with, like, I'm going to speak up and say something about that. And ultimately, I realize that you're another grown adult who gets to make your own decisions. Like, if it goes against something that I think or believe ideologically, then I'm going to try and figure out why you're doing that. Which is a very long-winded way of saying that she... This is at a point in my life where I was trying to, uh, to do a better job of how I ate and exercised and just took care of myself. And she didn't really have any desire to do so that's i got you completely her decision but it also it you know it may have worked out to my advantage because it's probably something that kept me from falling for her any more deeply than i did i don't know what has been going on these last couple of days from three to five but yesterday kevin Dunn and I <laughs> talked about the five love languages the five uh physical touch words of affirmation um what is it like acts of service? Yep. That's all I got. I got nothing else, Trey. I'm missing the other two. Gifts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gifts. Hold on. I couldn't get the fifth one if you gave me a really big clue right now. Like there's no DJ, that's not it, sir. Um, but thank you for the guess. <laughs> Uh, let's see what it is. <laughs> Rim jobs. Nope. It's not that one. I think that would fall under physical touch. I'm not sure, but true. Just depends on how, uh, how for or against the anus you are. All right. The five are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. The quality, quality time. Yes. The one that yeah. we hadn't gotten. What's your love language? Um, Probably, because uh, I there's some people that have more than one. I think you may you may be predominantly one, but you know both. I think mine is probably 
predominantly physical touch, but quality time too Hmm. at this point. Yeah, I didn't realize this until I had kids, strangely enough. Mine is physical touch also because I really enjoy cuddling my kids. And one of my kids is still okay with it for the time being, but my daughter is not about that. And so I have to recognize um, how I can show that affection to her in a way that she's all right with, which is back scratches. She's yeah. a back, back scratch fan. It's it's weird how I can look at the person I was like, you know, emotionally and, and, and everything along those lines before my daughter was born and after she was born. And a lot of that stuff changes once you have kids. Does a lot. So what has changed for you? Because I feel like for me, it was less about stuff changing and more about me better understanding myself. Maybe that's it, though. Maybe that's it. What do you think changed? I think I've tried to better understand, be more cognizant of, am I, is, is, in other words, I would just do things without thinking and just do them. You know, what, whether it could be the most mundane task, it doesn't really matter what it is. Now I'm like, am I setting a good example? Am I, I want to be, I don't want to be the parent, you know, the do as I say, not as I do. I want to try to set a good example. So I'm cognizant of is, is what I'm doing now or is what I'm preparing to do, is that's going to set a good example going forward? And it's really made me reevaluate a lot of things and look introspectively and kind of figure out, even now at 40, kind of figuring out, hey, what 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 do I value? Uh, you know, what am I all about? Don't tie my – and this is one, man, I, I really struggle with this, Trey. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Don't wrap my self-worth into – my job that's part of that's what i do but i can't wrap myself worth and that that process is hard i know we're getting pretty deep here but that that is a hard process well let me push back just a little bit because i just read an excellent book by the guy who is responsible for founding panera and kava and he has some other businesses under his belt also and so he's insanely successful in the restaurant industry, but he talks about work life balance. Mm -hmm. The idea that there needs to be that balance is incomplete because sometimes the work can be part of the personal life. It just depends on if you love what you do for a living. And that is part of where you get that sense of self. So I love what I do for a living and I probably work more than I should, you know, depending on the week, but certainly during football season, like I'm not working straight 40 hour weeks where when I'm done with work, it doesn't come home with me or it doesn't stay at home with me because I work from home for the most part. But it's also important for your kids to see you doing what you love for a living and putting a sort of maximum effort into that too, because that instills a strong sense of work ethic in them as well. I, I, I do agree with that. Um, I just, you know, for me, it's about not getting tunnel vision, knowing when to pull away, managing things to where I do need to make time to pull away. I see. Yeah. That, that is important too. You're absolutely right about that. And by the way, that's really hard, especially in this era of smartphones and whatever other digital technology is already uh, always pulling at our attention. Like I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm, I'm choosing to leave my cell phone either in the car or at home if I'm just running little errands or going into the grocery store. If, if I'm not 
if there's not somebody that I'm imminently about to hear from, <laughs> then I'll just leave my phone in the car and, and go do my grocery store shopping. And guess what? It's not the end of the world. Occasionally you miss a phone call or it takes a couple more minutes for a text message or you're not right on top of an email, but that person can wait. You and I grew up in an era where you couldn't always get in touch with somebody immediately. Sometimes you had to wait or leave a message <laughs> or wait until the next time you saw them. Yeah, and it was okay. Things were in a lot of ways better when that yeah. was the case. Um, I actually thought about this today. I'm thinking about going back to wearing a watch so that way I don't have to be connected to my phone to know what time it is. I love that idea. Because the 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 phone clock thing is a big deal. I completely agree with you yeah. on that. Have you thought about the type of watch that you're going to get? Like you go on watch, you go on Rolex. You I don't. On- definitely not Rolex. Definitely not Rolex. Okay. I, I you know before what was the last man? I haven't worn a watch and probably since right around the time my wife and I got married, so about 15 years. Um, I was wearing fossil watches a lot before yeah wife and i got married um love the fossil watch I but think the, last, the last watch that i wore too as a matter of fact but the last one i had it was so damn big and so damn just heavy and cumbersome i'm like how the hell did i ever wear this thing and find it comfortable so i'm i'm pretty much for the watch game train i have to start from scratch like i, I may go i used to be against these kind of watches i may go like let something with like a leather band yeah. And like, I feel if I were to go watch again, that it would need to be more of a metallic look. You know, my daughter is saying Casio calculator watch. That's what she has right now. And that is a cool watch. It's not, not quite as cool in a lot of ki- modern kids opinions than, uh, than the Apple watch, but it's the best we could do well, for right now. That's the other thing I know when my wife and I have this conversation later, she's going to be like, why don't you just get an Apple watch? And my answer is going to be that completely defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do. I agree. Yeah. I think that your your wife your wife has to understand that too, right? Yeah, but my my wife has one of those jobs like she's a school administrator, so she's always got to have the emails, texts, everything mm. readily available. And it's not it she's she, it's easier for her to pull away than it is for me to pull away from stuff. Like I just get when I get tunnel vision, when I get hyper focused on something, I can't I got, I'm just, it's really hard for me. I just keep having to go back and go back and go back until like, yeah. I either finish what I'm doing or feel like I reach a stopping point. You obsess over it. Yeah. I've got some of that too. See, I'm just not a big accessories guy though. That's why I have a hard time going back to the watch. Like if I were to go back to a watch, it may need to be like a pocket watch that I'm keeping in my front pocket and that I can pull out like it would be a phone. Cause I just don't like anything hanging off my wrists. I'm not a big necklace guy. Obviously, I don't have any earrings, don't have any piercings, including piercings that you may not be able to see with clothes on. You got the Prince just, Albert? No Prince Albert. I had a, fr- I had a friend who, who got one of those one time. I don't know if he's, I don't think How, he's how much did it. that hurt him? That had to have hurt. Well, I was less concerned about uh, his, <laughs> I was, I was, run, I was running a newspaper at the time. This was right out of high school and I'm in my office and my buddy comes in and I, I knew he was coming. I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm I'm in the office, and I've got my back to him, right? I turn around, and he's standing about two feet from me, cranking hands. And I'm like, what, what the hell was that? Mm. And, yeah, so 
there was no there was no kind of leaning into it. It was just ah, here it is. Is that piercing? It goes through the hole and comes out the helmet. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I, I I hope it's worth it for those who go that route because that just seems like a pain that is not. He said it. He said it was. I've not. Uh, I've not asked his wife uh, if if that's the case or not. Don't feel like it's my place to know. But well, if um, you are going to ask anybody, it does need to be her. Yeah. So it's uh yeah he's. But this is this is my friend that he was all into the piercings and the tattoos and everything. I I had an earring I wore for a while. Stopped doing that. Left or right ear? Left. It, should, it had to be the left. You know that old. That was the era where one ear meant one thing and the other ear meant the other. That it did, Trey. That it did. Uh, wore the earring for a while. I had a necklace that I wore, but it just I don't know. Taking it off and on whenever I needed to, you know. Like I'm getting in the shower, take it off. So it's a it's a Saint Christopher's medal, which for the Catholics out there is the patron saint of travel. So mm. I just put that so I have it with me when I need it. I just keep that in my toiletry bag for when I travel, because when I travel, that's gonna be with me. So figured it serves the same purpose. Um I said the watch, I'm not a big rings guy either. I, I I've even stopped wearing the Texas State ring on my right hand, and mm. I've even gone with the uh, silicone ring on my left hand. Is that for practical reasons or, you know, um, actually my wife and I did this when we went to, uh, Disney world this summer, because I figured in that, we figured that oppressive Florida heat with the humidity, as much water as we would be drinking, like our hands are probably and as much walking as you do, your hands are probably going to swell and it'll be tough to get a ring off at the end of the day. Just go with the silicone ring and. It's not quite like when I went from an Android to an iPhone the first time and decided I was never going back, but it's, it's pretty close. I mean, I'm like, I have no wearing the old traditional wedding band. I'm like, just put that in your jewelry box. I'm just going to wear the silicone ring from now on. I've been told that for the sake of going to the gym, the silicone ring is better than the metallic ring. Yeah. It keeps the ring from getting scratched up when you're gripping weights and whatnot. That's thing. I was like bumping into stuff, and like I would, um, especially the Texas State ring. Like I would, I'm kind of fidgety with my hands sometimes. Like especially when I'm driving, so I would like, you know, be knocking it against like the, the gear shift on the car. Yeah. Like I've got like you can see like spots where I've worn worn areas in the car raw with the ring where I'm just not or like on my desk where I'm just knocking it against the desk or something. So was like, yeah, this is not. Let's not do that anymore. So you had a chain with the patron saint of travel yeah saint christopher yeah were you a big traveler um no it's just the furthest you've ever been away from texas distance wise probably and i guess it would have to be seattle right okay probably what's seattle from vancouver like a couple hours Mm, I if feel that. like it's more than that. I feel like it's three or four hours okay. away from Seattle. Uh, yeah, probably Seattle, New York. So the upper tips of the coasts. Well, yeah. New York's not quite upper tip, but it's getting there. Just the tip. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, 
No, it's just one of those things that is, uh, you know, my mom is a pretty devout Catholic, so she just felt like it was one of those deals to keep you safe while you're traveling. So, so do you identify as Catholic then, or are you agnostic? As I as I like to say, Trey, I uh, I was Catholic, and then I decommitted, and I'm waiting on an NIL deal from from the next religion willing to willing to pony up to mm-hmm. let me be a part of their tribe. Ready to commit to the Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> sign stealing schematics. <laughs> I have gone to a non-denominational churches for a while. No, man, it, does it shock you at all that now we're finding out that this sign stealing stuff, the PI, a lot of the paper trail is leading you back to leading it back to Ohio State snitching? It's not surprising at all. And apparently, no. it was Michigan that provided that great revelation earlier today. It's like, yeah. It doesn't change the fact that you guys are cheating your asses off to the degree that the teams you're playing in the postseason are being forewarned about it so they can put dummy calls up to upset your <laughs> dumb asses. Right? Yeah, it's it's uh man, there's a lot of things you can compare it in life to, but it's 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 why college football is the greatest sport in the world because stuff like that happens. Like the when I heard that. The first thing that came to mind was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Trey. This was back in the early 2000s. Alabama got hit hard with sanctions, like two-year bowl ban. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was rough for the recruitment of Albert Means. It's a big, talented defensive lineman from Memphis. Okay. Oh, and, I do remember his name. Yeah. And the school that snitched on Alabama for buying Al- Al- Albert Means was Tennessee. Phil mm-hmm. Fulmer is the one who snitched, and it's like, boy, that's ironic. Yeah, I mean, obviously Tennessee was recruiting the kid too, but they're like, yeah, Alabama got this kid, and they paid for him, and here's how they did it. And Alabama ended up getting several years of probation for that. So, what do you think ultimately happens to Michigan here? I mean, the Big Twelve coaches were on a conference call yesterday, clamoring for some sort of immediate punishment. Like, I don't know how much the conference can do. Reliant on the NCAA to maybe take action. I mean, you have to do something to Jim Harbaugh, right? Because whether look, whether he knew or not, this is great. It is an apples and pomegranates comparison I'm about to make. <laughs> it's like it's like the Art Bryles thing. Whether you knew or not, you should have known, and you're ultimately responsible for what happens in your football program. Mm-hmm. So it almost doesn't matter what Jim Harbaugh knew or didn't know, whether he was openly pushing staffers to go buy tickets to certain games or whether he he was completely hands off with it something's got to happen to him now i say like you can suspend him for a year but i think you and i both know if you suspend jim harbaugh he's coaching fill in nfl franchise in the blank next year so you can do that uh you know what did they I'm trying to think of what the Big 12 did to Baylor. I think they withheld some money, withheld some of the TV money from Baylor and maybe put it in escrow, and they got it later, I think. Thanks, Big 12. You could do something like that. Uh, I I don't know that this is where you need to start talking about anything extreme like the death penalty or anything like that, but I think the harsh – I'm I'm against, like, one punishing the athletes who probably most of them were probably none the wiser Two, I think relinquishing slash stripping slash vacating wins and championships 
is the dumbest punishment in sports. Pointless. Completely idiotic. Um, so outside of those things, I think you got to punish Harbaugh. And I think the way you can punish the school is punish them financially. With withhold, you can withhold their, and I don't know, there's all kinds of languages and those, you know, the grant of rights and, and the TV deals. Maybe you could do something like that, but I, I'm not for vacating wins or, or anything like that. Death penalty is certainly extreme here, and I think it's extreme in just about any circumstance. How come whenever a college whenever a college football program gets in trouble, why is that always the place like the extremists go to? Death penalty, give them the death penalty. Because it happened once and it completely <laughs> the SMU program. Like, why there's no need to go there. Like, there, there's things you can do, like other than like terminate the program, there's a lot of things between nothing and terminating the program that you can do somewhere in between there that'll be an appropriate level of punishment. But you don't need to just go in and be like, yeah, you're done. Shut it down. So death penalty for the program, bad idea. What about death penalty for a coach? <laughs> Figurative death penalty. No, I mean, you that. can, yeah. Now that's the other thing with Jim Harbaugh. You can suspend him for a year, you know, but you would need... Again, this is where the NCAA has to step in. I, I know the NCAA can issue a show cause uh, for violations. Can the Big Ten issue a show cause where he's unhirable? I don't. I don't know because then that's in the realm of an NCAA investigation because that's a punishment that they hand down. So, what exactly does show cause mean? That he's just not allowed to engage in recruiting in any way, shape, or form for? No. Well, yeah, that's going to be part of it. A show cause would be. You have to, if you're going to hire somebody that is under show cause sanctions, you have to provide basically a plan on here's how this guy is going to operate. This is why we feel this coach is a good hire for us. And, and yeah, they can't recruit. Like I, I want to say, I want to say Auburn hired Bruce Pearl and Bruce Pearl is still uh, part of his penalty. I want to say they did, and I and I think they were pretty. If I'm remembering this right, I want to say there were pretty heavy sanctions that he couldn't like he couldn't recruit and do some other things. Didn't uh, somebody hire Kelvin Sampson when he was still dealing? Okay, with this is this this is from Bruce Pearl's Wikipedia page. So at the time he was hired by Auburn, he still had five months remaining on his show cause order. Uh, could not have any contact with recruits during the summer recruiting period, but could evaluate them. Uh, yeah. So basically, dur until the show cause is lifted, you pretty much you're you're not going to be allowed to recruit. Were you asking about Kelvin Sampson? I don't think so because I think Kelvin Sampson was in the NBA so long mm -hmm. that when he came, when U of H hired him, I don't think he had a show cause. Okay. Yeah, it was it was at his show cause five year show cause had expired when U of H hired him. See, back to the. Back to the whole some crimes you don't run out of time for uh, for getting rung up for the crimes. I feel like if you get a show cause, it should affect the next time that you were hired at that level. That's when the show cause starts. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. It's almost like yeah, you're getting a ten year sentence, but with time served, yeah, you're only going to serve three and a half. No, it's what's what's the point then, Jim Harbaugh. I know that Michigan has started to find some success in the last few years, and, well, now we kind of know why. But I feel like <laughs> his personality is better suited for the NFL anyhow. I, You know, 
I've talked to guys. I've talked to a couple guys. You remember when satellite camps were a big deal? Yeah. Remember, remember those days? Yeah, we, it was like three, two to three or four schools getting together regionally. Boy, if I if if I had to power rank the things that I've wasted the most energy, effort, and type space on, satellite camps might be number one. Did those completely go away with COVID? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you'll see them pop up every now and then, but you know, you don't have staffs going all over the country anymore. Mm. Uh, at least Sark staff, Sark staff doesn't. Um, but I so I talked to a couple people that ran satellite camps and they, you know, there were guys running satellite camps because you had to have somebody had to set it up and then you hire that staff to come work the camp. So mm. I talked to some people in Texas and around that had dealt with, uh, that dealt with Michigan. And I said, Hey, I just, you know, hey, what's your, what's your take on Harbaugh? what do you think about Harbaugh? And almost, it was almost unanimous of pause, stare off into the sky, look back at me and say, weird guy. Just a weird guy. Okay. So it just, there's a difference between like being kind of quirky and kind of aloof and just kind of borderline, maybe giving people a kind of a creepy vibe. I think Jim Harbaugh kind of crossed that line a little bit. You got a sleepover with a guy that would later to commit to him as a kicker. Yeah. The Republic of Texas cookie cake he made for, he had made for Jordan Elliott. That was a weird one. <laughs> Yes, Glenn, valid resource. Wikipedia is the all-knowing source. I think everybody should know that by this point. Hmm. That's what you use for all your research, isn't it, Trey? Wikipedia? Wikipedia, it's a good starting point. <laughs> Sometimes you just run with it. Like uh, when you see a Twitter headline, you just assume yeah. it's fact, even though anywhere from 5 to 95% of what you read on the internet is BS. Thank you, Glenn, for your support, sir. Um, you you want to know how crazy... Uh, Speaking of ninety five percent of things on the internet are BS. Have you seen some of these clickbait sites that are running with like top five transfer destinations for Arch Manning? These kinds of stories. Oh, good lord! Okay, this is this is how off the rails this stuff gets. Like when stuff gets out in the clickbait neighborhood and it starts getting passed around, and you know, I I, I said this point blank on our message board tray over on the side. I'm like, look. Let the casuals and the commoners think what they want. I'm pretty sure everybody that's reading this message board, you're all smart enough to know that this is BS and not to not to pay attention to it. And it was almost a unanimous yes, we are. So I get a text today. I'm on my way to, to covert today. I get a text from my wife because she has gotten a phone call from one of her friends who has a they have a family member currently attending UT. And the friend of hers wants to know, hey, can you ask Jeff if Arch Manning is really going to transfer? Didn't elaborate on the text with my wife. I just said, no, that was it. As in, no, I'm not going to check. That's As a- in, no, I'm not going to check. I barely want to dignify that question with a response, but no. The answer is no. Oh, man. People are just looking to drum up drama. I saw there's an Astros fan that I'm friends with on Facebook who pushed some random meme after Adolis Garcia went out with that oblique injury, which was very obviously an oblique injury. 
if you watched game three, who the next day or two days later, I guess, after he had been taken off the World Series roster, that he had been suspended for PEDs. He was off the roster because he had been suspended for PEDs. And there was just a string of people commenting on, I knew it. I knew he was on something. There was no <laughs> way to be able to do that on his own. Like not even not even caring to, to look into it themselves, but just choosing to believe a picture of him in pain and may have been some sort of emoji of a needle. With whatever whatever water. happened to the good rumors, Trey, like when we were kids, like, hey, did you guys know? Like, you remember when the Ultimate Warrior went away and then came back? Like, hey, did you guys know the real Ultimate Warrior? He died. And this is just an imposter. Turns out it was actually the same guy the whole time. But... I do remember that one. Yeah. The Ultimate Warrior dying. Yeah. You remember that one. You know what I think the funniest one of all these? Because, I mean, let's be honest. Like, Facebook. I'm going to throw Facebook under the bus facebook has exposed like the most ignorant amongst us yeah it's given people that don't need to have a voice it's given them a voice <laughs> this was right around uh this would have been right around 2020 election time with 2020 yeah 2020 election time um probably primary time garth brooks is doing a concert in detroit and garth brooks for those that don't know went to oklahoma state Really good friends, actually, with Barry Sanders. Garth Brooks is wearing a Barry Sanders Detroit Lions shirt. Trey, what was Barry Sanders' number when he played for the Lions? 20. Okay. The amount of people that, without doing any kind of research, just were gobsmacked that Garth Brooks was openly supporting Bernie Sanders' candidacy for presidency were just beside themselves. (laughs) That happened. (laughs) That happened. I don't ever delve into the political realm, but I'm like, come on. Surely, surely there aren't that many ignoramuses amongst us that really, really thought that's what it was. Yeah, that's a pretty gross misread of a situation. I don't know if this qualifies as that versus people just taking an urban legend and running with it and how widespread it became because you ask anybody in this country who grew up in the 1990s and early 2000s, they are aware of this. The Richard Gere gerbil story mm-hmm. yeah, is one that took on a life of its own. Uh, the Marilyn Manson rib removal. That was another one. Yeah. How do these things get started? Because we weren't living in the same place, but all of us knew about it. Yeah. Like, see, I, I told you the Ultimate Warrior thing. Like, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, we didn't have that the internet. Kids, too, by the way. Yeah, there was no internet. That's right. There was no internet, yet somehow we we knew. We all knew. You had to find a friend who had the Mortal Kombat strategy guide to know how to do fatalities. You couldn't just Google that stuff. No. <laughs> yeah, you had to know a guy or encounter somebody at the arcade who knew the proper moves. Oh, it's back, back, B. Back, back, B. Oh, that's how you do the scorpion spear thing. Okay. I'm trying to think of other examples of that from our childhood adolescence the marilyn manson rib one that one's up there well there was another one with marilyn manson too do you remember this what did it involve jelly donuts (laughs) or am i thinking about alice cooper you may be thinking about alice cooper the rumor was (laughs) that paul from the wonder years was the drummer of marilyn manson or something 
Oh, I think I kind of remember something like that. Yeah. And that turned out to be BS. <laughs> Glenn, no, that's not true about Maryland as far as we know. He is a uh, a world-class POS, though, apparently. DJ, this was before Game Pro. This was like a Nintendo Power magazine back in the day that you had to get the – or just buy the actual strategy guide. You had to go, like, to the – you couldn't even get that at Walmart. You had to go to, like, uh, Babbage's or KB Toys and buy the strategy guide. There was a point in time where Nintendo Pro, what was it? Nintendo Power. Nintendo yeah. Power. We were friends with this uh, this Japanese kid who lived across the street. And I only say that because I'm pretty sure in retrospect that his dad was a member of the Yakuza mob. Oh. But he would get these magazines sent to him from family in Japan that were Nintendo Power before we ever had the English version here in the States and it read what we consider to be back to front, but in Japan they read, read back to front mm -hmm. and it gave us all the secrets before anybody else had them. Yeah. CB brings up a good one. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh yeah. Yeah. The uh, Hermy thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is a good one. Everybody knew about it. No internet to tell us about it. How did that happen? I don't ever really even remember being told that. No, it just be kind of becomes common knowledge at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah, DJ. Yeah. That's what that's what prompted the discussion was. <laughs> I I think I might know where that one came from from a book that I read a few years ago. That uh, essentially had to do with uh, Richard Gere and him fighting hard for um, the Dalai Lama. And for the uh, Tibetan monks through various projects that he did and how that infuriated the Chinese government. And so they started the rumor that <laughs> he would stuff gerbils in plastic bags and then stuff them someplace else. Are, are you as convinced as I am that uh, the Mr. Slave character in South Park is basically just a big rib on Richard Gere? I think it's at least part of that. Yeah, it has to be right. Yeah. It's not complete. It's not complete, Richard Gear, but inspired by, if nothing that, else. You know the the Lemmy Winks episode, Trey. That was one where I had to check out on South Park for several years. I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I can watch this. Really? Yeah. Right. Was, that was a little, and I I can watch it now and laugh, but back then I was like, you know what? I think this is. Hmm. I don't know what line it crossed, but it felt like it crossed some kind of line with me. You know? Okay. What's that Mr. Garrison trying to get fired for so he could <laughs> so he could file a wrongful termination suit for getting fired because he was gay and mm. decided to bring in Mr. Slave as his <laughs> as his teaching assistant. God, that show is so awesome. Such a great show. Well, Trey, what uh did you watch any of the tech TCU game last night? I did not know. I didn't watch did not. I didn't watch the NFL game either. I was I was speaking of work. I was in the middle of doing work. I uh, I texted one of my buddies who's a big Oklahoma fan, and I mentioned uh, I just mentioned a couple couple observations I had in that game, which for the most part was actually forgettable. And he just sent me back a text, and all it said was, "I hope for the sake of those two fan bases that that game is as terrible as it could possibly be." And for for the most part, it was not. 
it was not much to write home about. I, were you as surprised as I was? Because I was surprised when the CFP rankings came out on Tuesday. The amount of respect that it seemed like the committee gave the Big 12. It's like you knew Texas and Oklahoma were going to be in the top 10 somewhere, most likely. Mm-hmm. But like for Oklahoma State's got a loss to South Alabama. They're in the top 25. Kansas, you figured, would probably be in the top 25 because that went over Oklahoma and then Kansas State's in there. Hmm. Which Kansas nah, State's two losses, one was to Oklahoma State and the one, uh, the Eli Drinkwitz trying to give the game away against Missouri, that's their other loss. Yeah, the Missouri loss obviously looks less bad now since it was done, since that game was won in last second fashion on a 60-plus yard field goal. And even the Oklahoma State loss looks less bad now too because that was a point where Oklahoma State really got its act together. Mm-hmm. And has uh, really played much better since Alan Bowman at quarterback, but then really Ollie Gordon, the third leading the country in rushing. Like that was kind of his coming out party against Kansas state to a goal along with the fact that Kansas state was terrible that night. Will Howard. Awful. Stud. Ollie Gordon's a stud, man. He is really good. And I'm actually kind of glad that we're not playing Oklahoma state in the last month of the season, unless we meet up with them in the, Big 12 championship game because I think yeah. you have just about any defensive uh, problems. I, I remember what because I I got to remember what recruiting cycle Ollie Gordon was in. Was he 2021? I don't know. Rem- where, where is he from? Euless Trinity. He's a Euless Trinity oh, kid. Okay. Um, Ollie Gordon. Okay. Ollie Gordon was class of 2022, which I think we can agree. Like Texas has been, they've been okay at the running back position. But it was one of those deals where like he, he kind of came onto the scene a little bit. That's actually a really good eval by the Oklahoma State staff. And kind of when he started to blow up late uh, in his during his senior year at Trinity, that's Texas actually came in and offered, but it was just it was too late at that point. Like Oklahoma State got in on him early and and got him committed. So props to them for making that happen. But I I think you know as as nice as it would be, try to think about you know if Texas had Ollie Gordon, they're they're doing okay at the running back spot. Like Jonathan Brooks is Jonathan Brooks is one of the top what three to five backs in the country right now yeah i think that's a pretty safe assumption especially when you consider the pro football focus numbers being out and mm-hmm. the grades going against this texas offensive line being very good at run blocking so I, you know i think maybe they those are skewed just a little bit but there's also a lot of truth there and it also speaks to how jonathan brooks is able to do a lot with a little yeah, he's he's getting to the point. I mean, he, you can't directly compare him to Bijan and Roshan, but where he's like those guys is those guys did a really good job of maximizing runs. You know, like if it's blocked for four, man, they can get you five or six. If it's blocked for eight, they can get you twelve. Yeah, uh, Jonathan we, Brooks, Bijan especially because he makes these tiny moves that freeze uh, a lot more up for him in the way of yardage. Yeah, Jonathan Brooks right now, 580, he's got 583 yards after contact, uh, over four and a half yards, over four yards per carry after contact. Like Holly Gordon right now, Trey, 4.67 yards after contact per attempt. Uh, missed tackles forced Jonathan Brooks right now, six in the country with 50. I'll tell you the, the one takeaway I had from that game last night for, for Tech, Taj Brooks, who's a Mainer kid, yeah, at Tech, Taj Brooks is becoming a really, really good running back. Like, I, it just kind of popped in my head. I was trying to think of that game, but Taj Brooks right now second in the country and missed tackles for sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that he's he's become a, a, a he's become a really really good back for them. But uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, Ollie Gordon's really good. It, it's gonna be tough if you're a first team All Big Twelve running back this year. You earned it. That's true. And Jonathan mean, Brooks. First team backs right now are him and are Gordon and Brooks, right? Yeah, and then when you got Taj Brooks, uh, you know Texas fans will see Treshawn Ward at uh, at K State tomorrow. Yeah, yeah the weird, weird thing about the Kansas State running back situation though is DJ Giddens has been the good running back between those two mm-hmm. at times this year, including I think in last week's game. But like yeah, Devin D- Neal has been good for Kansas. This is a, Devin- a league that has a lot of talented running backs right now. Amani um, Bailey at TCU's closing in on a thousand yards and he's he's averaging five and a half yards a carry. See I, I don't even know much about him. I have not watched I have not watched anything of TCU this year. They they suck so bad. I try and avoid those things. <laughs> you know what though? I'll, I'll give myself props because I haven't gotten much right this year, especially when it comes to hypothetical unit plays. I've been terrible against the spread, <laughs> but I I will give myself props for calling it that when you know everybody went ape. You know what? Over that Colorado TCU game in Week One, I'm like we're gonna look up in the middle of the season and these are gonna be two pretty average, if not below average, football teams. It's exactly what they are. Neither yeah. one of those teams is very good. Great call by you. One of the calls that I have gotten wrong up to this point, even though I think there's still plenty of time for them to play decent competition and show that they're not great, is I thought Iowa State would be the bottom feeder of the Big 12. Yeah, and I was thinking it was West Virginia. I, I thought West Virginia would be down there also, and both of those teams have uh, have exceeded our expectations right now, including Oklahoma, or uh, Iowa State being tied atop the Big 12 standings. Now, that may change tomorrow. They're hosting Kansas, so they do have the home field advantage. And Jalen Daniels is likely not going to be a part of the uh, the Jayhawks roster the rest of the year, unfortunately, because of back spasms, or maybe holding out for uh, for more money for the next team that he plays for. But this is a a big point for Iowa State to prove that they are at least middle of the pack in this conference in a year where they completely suck on offense. I feel though like Andy Kotelnicki's he's got he's got it figured out. He's got a plan with Jason Bean that they can probably go win with. I'd like to think so. Also, he's been a little bit up and down though. Like he started to look better oh, yeah. as a passer a few weeks ago, but last week he was pretty pedestrian. And that went over Oklahoma, which I wouldn't have expected. I I thought he would have been really he would have need to be good for them to beat the Sooners, but they beat the Sooners on uh, Devin Neal's shoulders and him running the ball and then them, them playing pretty good defense too and forcing that, them to turn That's the thing. That's the thing. They're so much better defensively than I thought they were. Like, they, they were horrible last year defensively. Yeah. I mean, they, they were winning games because they were winning in shootouts. Yep. Uh, now, you know, they're able to force turnovers. They actually do a really good job of getting to the quarterback. Uh, they're one of the better defenses in the country in terms of sacks per game, tackles for loss per game. So making some negative plays, they've got some decent enough corners, some decent enough DBs where they can force some turnovers. So that the fact that Kansas, like we knew offensively they were going to be good. And even without Jalen Daniels, they're still pretty good uh, because of the talent around Jason Bean. And like I said, I think that staff's kind of got it figured out what they can do with Jason Bean in terms of formulating a plan to win with. The thing that surprised me, though, Trey, is that how good they've been on defense. Now, that was not the case against Texas, but I think Texas has the kind of personnel that the style of play Kansas wants to play with, I think just gives them a lot of problems just because they're so big. You know, makes it really hard for Kansas to do what they want, they want to do. Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe so. Uh, Chip dropped some news on BK and me just before Chip and Zay started at one. JT Sanders, I guess, reaggravated his ankle injury at practice at some point this week. And Christian Jones has also been banged up. Yeah, he, uh, I think it was Tuesday's practice that he did not, I think Christian Jones did not finish practice on Tuesday. What uh, was the most, issue there? Uh, don't know what the issue was. He also had Malik Murphy's been dealing with, uh, I, I don't know what his injury is, but I know he's been a little banged up. He didn't, I've heard he's been dealing with a back issue off and on. Is that what it is? Okay. Yes. Cause I know he, you know, we were told he didn't practice Tuesday, but did practice Wednesday. So, Take that for it. And and I, you know, I see the concern, Trey, but and, and I'm not, and this might sound like I'm, you know, kind of sweeping it under the rug, but I'm not. I think sometimes when we when we hear injury reports dealing with Texas, it can sound like the sky is falling. But I think some of that is maybe it's tough to see the forest through the trees sometimes, which yeah. you know, everybody in the country is dealing with that stuff right now. Everybody's got guys that are beat up. What you hope is survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of survivor 45 d Vyadaris, will be joining us every week we're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me a survivor winner listen to on fire the official survivor podcast wherever you get your podcast. This is if Texas ends up being okay from this, what you hope is now that depth that we spent all offseason talking about, that Sark spent all offseason talking about, that depth needs to be really good for you right now. Yeah. And, and like we've seen it at safety and at linebacker and even at corner, it just might so happen that some of those depth pieces that you're better guys on down the depth chart might just be some of those freshmen, whether it's you know, Anthony Hill or Derek Williams or Malik Muhammad. It just you got talented guys. They might be inexperienced, but they're really freaking talented. Speaking of Anthony Hill and then Maurice Blackwell coming back, and I know you are the uh, the driver of the Maurice Blackwell fan club train. Yes, truck or whatever the vehicle is at this point. I had to park the uh, Daniel Young bandwagon, and I'm going to leave that thing on the side of the road. But yes, picked up with Mo Blackwell. I don't know because I haven't looked at the participation chart, but just based on paying attention to what was happening defensively for Texas, I feel like that may have been the least that David Benda has played. It was. Yes. I want to say, if you give me a minute, I want to say 16 snaps is all David Benda got in the – in the BYU game. It was by – it was probably the most Anthony Hills played this year. Um, There we go. Come on, PFF. Don't let me down. I just need some snap counts on defense. There we go. Um, let's see. Yeah, Anthony Hill, 51 snaps. He's the third most of anybody in that game. Hmm. Uh, Mo Blackwell played had 19 snaps. And then, yeah, David Benda was 16. So, Mo Blackwell, Trey, played more than David Benda did last week. I think that it was trending in that direction. Because Benda hasn't been great the last couple of games. The Houston game and then the OU game. Where... Well, he, neither of the uh, the main linebackers were good against those two teams. Anthony Hill, you could argue, was the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. He's still a true freshman trying to learn on the job. So now that they have Maurice Blackwell back there, he has a uh, similar sort of speed, probably better speed than David Benda does. Oh, no question, yeah. 
that uh, that he's kind of going to take over that role, that sideline to sideline role. I still the 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 thing I'm watching for tomorrow. And again, I had somebody connected to a Big Twelve staff kind of cue me in on this. That this staff felt like anybody that's able to play with bigger personnel or, or get themselves into kind of some short yardage downs against Texas. I I didn't realize this Trey until I looked it up this week. You realize Texas is third in the country and third down defense. Interesting. I did not know yeah, that. I, I, that, I didn't makes, either. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, they're, they've been really good on third down. But the point is to get them in short yardage situations. When PK goes with, you know, 4-3 personnel, more traditional 4-3 personnel, 40 personnel with three four down linemen, three linebackers, they take he takes Jade Barron off the field. That's been kind of what they've done with that. You got to have a counter to that because, I mean, we're being honest – who, who's more valuable to have on the field regardless of the down and distance? Is it Jade Barron or David Benda? Uh, Jade Barron, but if nothing else, I would have Jade Barron in there at a safety position. I you know that he's played a lot more nickel, but I have more faith in him at safety than I do anybody else playing either safety spot right now. Or, yeah, or just get him somewhere on the field. Like, I don't right. care where it is, just whatever you got to do. Or just leave him in there. Leave him in there at the nickel position. He's he's actually as physical as he is. He's one of your better box defenders. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, he's not afraid to throw his body around. So I I just I would. <laughs> he's one of those guys that like you you just it, it's almost like when you have a great running back and you're like okay well I mean maybe he doesn't fit our offense well then then your offense isn't working right like make it work. Like, well, we like having three linebackers. Okay, well, then don't. Then just don't. Just get that out of your mind. Just keep him on the field. Just keep your nickel personnel on the field. Yeah, it's a hard-headedness that a lot of coaches have, that you you should be able to excel within my system, but recognizing the pieces at your disposal and making the necessary adjustment on your end to ensure that you are setting that squad up for success. It was part of my issue... I know you and I talked about this on Tuesday, but it was part of my problem with Sark's initial game plan last Saturday. Like, yeah, it was BYU, so you you could get away with it. Mm-hmm. But if that's just who and what Sark is, and it's like, no, we're going to throw a lot more than we run early on in the game to get our quarterback comfortable to set everything else up, I think you're going about it poorly. Yeah, and A team like Kansas State will make you pay in ways that BYU could not. Uh, we're... I think we're we're not on the same page there, but I think you and I are on the same page for this week when I'm with – I know Chip has been touting this this week. I think this has got to be a 25 to 30 carry game for Jonathan Brooks. Like we need to look up at the end of the game. He, here's the deal, Trey. Whatever the final number ends up being, you can't have like – I want to say like the, the U of H game was like this. He can't have – 14, 15 carries at halftime and finish with 18. Yeah. You know, like it's got to be, he's got to be double digits in both halves. I agree. Sark has shown the ability to do that at times. Just look at the last couple of Kansas State games. Think back to Bijan's sophomore year, the TCU game. Yeah. Where Casey Thompson was the quarterback and they sucked throwing the football that day. And he realized, I've just got to give the ball to Bijan Robinson if I want to win this game. And they did. So the I was turns out to be the case yeah. tomorrow. Then he's willing to make that adjustment again. The two games that were like that last year, and it was like it had to wait for the oh oh crap moment for it to happen. 
uh, my daughter's here, so I got to watch the language. But um, it was the Iowa State game. Remember when they threw that bomb to Casey Kane on that crosser and he dropped it? Mm-hmm. And right after that, at that point, Sark's like, you know what? Passing game just ain't happening today. I'm going to give the ball to Roshan and Bijan, and we're just going to get the hell out of here and go win this game. And the same thing happened in the Baylor game. Remember Quinn was rolling out, took that sack, fumbled. Baylor scoops oh, it up. He's yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to go to my two backs. Let them carry us across the finish line. Quinn, I love you, but we're going to live to fight another day. You know, you'll have the bowl game and, you know, you'll go on. You'll be great. But today, just just turn around and hand that ball off and let's get out of here. Yeah, and that was great because Roshan got that final memory at DKR of scoring the game-sealing touchdown too. And, and I, I love it because I, I actually talked to him about this at his pro day. Like, to me, that last play that he had, that – that summed up exactly what Roshan Johnson meant to this program. Completely agreed. A guy with an ankle injury that most guys probably wouldn't have tried to play through, but he's out there hurdling defenders and scoring a touchdown to help put a game away. Like it was, it, it just summed up who he was, what he meant to that program, what he's meant to Sark into this organization. Like it just, he, he, he couldn't have scripted a better ending for that guy. Yeah, it was perfect. And no, if you're still pissed off about the bowl game, he and Bijan did not need to play in the bowl game. No, stupid Alamo Bowl. If it was a New Year's Six game, I'd want to see them play, but I would understand if there weren't college football playoff implications that they didn't. You know, Trey, I, I see stuff every day that reminds me. You know what? There are a lot of there are a lot of dumb people in every every fan base has their share of morons. Every fan base. And Texas fans, it's stuff like that. The few, the few. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to like the two percent here. I also see stuff like, you know, I'll see like a, I think it was the Statesman had something like an article on Colt McCoy that came across my Facebook feed, and people were still blaming Colt. Texas would have a national championship if he didn't take himself out of the game. The dude couldn't feel his arm. What do you want him to do? He was trying to protect his protect his draft status. That's almost as dumb as me thinking Marilyn Manson got a rip removed back in the day. I was at that game. I watched him try and come out of the locker room and warm up on the sideline. It just wasn't happening. It sucked. Yeah. It sucked to have to come to that conclusion. It's the same feeling as Garcia pulling his oblique at the end of, or in game three. You knew that there was a good chance that you wouldn't see him again in that series. That's just that's how it happens sometimes. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that somebody doesn't have the guts to suck it up and do it. It just means physically they're unable to do so. Ooh, speaking of rumors, I got a good I got a good one. Let's hear it. Along those lines. Did Paul Pierce doo-doo on himself in the NBA finals or not? Well, that's not that's legit. But now, see, uh, apparently it's not. There's been some rumors like, did Paul Pierce fabricate that he went number two on himself? What was the problem then? What would have happened there? Way over-exaggerated an ankle injury. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Acted, acted like he got shot, which is really weird coming from a guy who actually legit got stabbed outside of a bar and almost died. Well, was so th- this was the thought with Adolis Garcia too, especially, and in- Kevin Dunn brought this up first, so I'm going to give him credit for this, is that he tends to be histrionic with his reactions to when he gets hurt. Like when mm-hmm. Garcia hurt his foot back in late August or early September, which led to Evan Carter's call-up, 
people are like, oh my gosh, based on that, like he broke his foot. He's we're hope we hope he's back in time for spring training. And then he was back in the lineup a couple weeks later. And yeah. so people were hoping that the oblique injury was him overreacting to a slight pull, and that turned out not to be the case. Was Paul Pierce one of those guys who over-exaggerated injuries throughout his career? I don't remember. How I didn't follow the Celtics close enough to know whether he did or not. And Paul Pierce, let's be honest, while he was with the Celtics, there were some some dark years in there where they just weren't very good. <laughs> um, while, while Antoine Walker was in the middle of eating his way out of the NBA. Um <laughs> So I don't know, but like, yeah, there was a deal where like he kind of admitted it, but then now there's I've seen some scuttlebutt lately that okay, yeah, pe- maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't do to on himself in the NBA Finals. Yeah, I love when a conspiracy theory swings back and forth from the <laughs> hilarious to the more boring. I mean, I don't fault an athlete like if you look, man, if you got to go number two, then. You run, you got to run off the court to do it or get wheelchaired out to save yourself the embarrassment. That it happens, man. Yeah, it's unfortunate when it happens, but it does happen. I remember a game where that happened to Troy Aikman. We had to run into the locker room. It was a a game at uh, old old uh, Texas Stadium. We ran in there and they're like, "Uh oh, is Troy Aikman hurt?" And they gave the sideline report. Nope, Troy Aikman just had a little bit of a bathroom issue that he needed to take care of. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Trey Pro. We were talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Pro wrestling has a lot of those stories like that. Urban legends. Like, there's one, uh, and neither one of the parties has confirmed this, but apparently, video evidence showed the end of the main event of WrestleMania 13. The Undertaker beat Psycho Sid for the WWF title. That while the Undertaker was delivering a Tombstone pile driver, that Psycho Sid went number two in his pants. Oh, yeah. Wait, a yeah. pile driver. So that means that part of the body was close to the other. Well, it's, the, it's it's the tombstone pile driver. So like the the front part of the the male anatomy is in your face. So you would have if he would have done it, you would, he would have been able to smell it. Undertaker would have been able to smell it. Ugh. There's well, a story if about talk, if you ever talk to the Undertaker, he is an Austin native. Then you can ask him about that. <laughs> There's also a story about. Uh, Andre the Giant one time was wrestling Bad News Brown and attempted to just break wind on him in the corner. But apparently Andre had had several beers the night before and ended up blowing mud instead. Oh, boy. I did, mean, you ever, did you ever watch the Bill Simmons, Andre the Giant documentary that HBO did? I think I did, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I think one of, the, the, one of my main takeaways from that, I get, the end is very sad. Because it talks about just how Andre just didn't sometimes didn't want to go out in public and hated being seen and seen as a you know a freak show and like that's or understandable. Layman. But apparently, when he when he'd go wrestle in Japan, that the bathrooms in Japan were so small that he had to line the tub with newspaper and take the Browns to the Super Bowl, if you will, in the tub. Well, that sucks for him. Yeah. I mean, obviously he used his size to carve out a a really nice career in life for himself, but it's, you're unable to gain any level of privacy in public. Uh, I said Lamar, Lamar Jackson apparently had one of those incidents. He had to go pot pot during the game or maybe did on himself. Run to the locker room to drop a deuce. Okay. CB, we trust you on that one. I was watching, uh, Man, it wasn't, was it the, maybe it was the Todd Marinovich 30 for 30. 
where he was playing in the arena league and I forget what substance he was on, but it was making him basically he had diarrhea and he had done it twice. And apparently, apparently the, the equipment guy said, I'm just telling you, this is the last pair of pants you have. So whatever happens from here on out, and it's like late second quarter at this point. So yeah, Todd Marinovich threw for like six touchdowns in an arena league game. I'm sure he did. Crapped his pants twice. He died, correct? I believe Todd Marinovich is still with us. Ah, damn it. I'm on the clock then. His dad, his dad is no longer with us. Marv Marinovich passed away, I believe. Okay, and Todd is alive. Well, Trey tried to kill Todd Marinovich today, so. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be me that kills Todd Marinovich. It would probably be the drugs. Todd Marinovich, a July 4th baby. Interesting. Now, CB, here's the thing. George Brett's incident did not happen during a game. It happened many years later. The George Brett story? Yeah which he's strangely very happy to tell people, or he was happy when he was telling it during Royals spring training. Have you seen that YouTube video? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like how everybody's just trying to get away from him, and he's like, no, 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 let me tell you the next part. (laughs) I think it's an all-time great baseball story. He should be leaning into that one. (laughs) Forget Pine Tar. George Brett crapped himself in a casino one time. That's what I want to hear about. (laughs) Baseball baseball stories aren't always about what's happening on the field of play. Vin Scully is a great example of that. Vin Scully would go off on such random tangents that had very little to do with the game. Yeah, baseball is one of the sports where you can do that, especially if like the game is getting away from you. You know, it's like a, I don't know, like a seven-one game in the you know top of the sixth or something. Like baseball is not one of those sports like football where you can like be back in it in a minute or two. Like if, you, if you're building a rally, it's going to take you a while. And if it's a blowout, you, mm-hmm. you got to fill time somehow. You got to have, you got to be able to fill a buster. Yeah. Tick tock, Trey. Tick tock, says Steven. What what are we tick talking about, Steven? What are we tick talking about? Jeff, what do you think we see out of Malik Murphy tomorrow, by the way? Well, I hope we see this kind of goes back to something I talked about with Bucky and BK this morning. How much does Sark trust him at this point? The Sark trust the Sark trust him enough to maybe throw some of those intermediate routes, uh, some of the intermediate game stuff that you know was very much in the playbook with Quinn Ewers. That we know it took Sark a while to build up to that with Quinn. The problem is, like with Quinn, you know, especially like those first two games last year, you knew you had a redshirt freshman quarterback. You're at the you're at the beginning of the season, so you're still trying to really get a feel for what your team is. I don't know if you've got the luxury to put a ton of trust in Malik Murphy right now, unless you're as close to 100% comfortable with something as possible, because you're in a conference championship race at this point. And I wonder, you know, Sark talks about himself. You know, he's naturally aggressive. We've seen him straddle that line between aggressiveness and recklessness. But I wonder if maybe does he feel the need at all to pull back a little bit, maybe be a little more conservative? I, I would think so, because this is the kind of game – Against BYU, he knew that BYU's offense was so inept. And this isn't this isn't like inside information. This is just me trying to psychoanalyze Sark. I think he knew BYU's offense was so inept that he felt like, look, if he turns the ball over a couple of times or you have some drive stalled, 
defense and special teams are good enough to get you to a point where the offense can eventually take off. You can eventually find something to fall back on. Kansas State's not one of those opponents where that's going to happen. You turn the ball over a couple of times, man, you could be down on a hole real quick. And predictable down in distances and predictable downs, period, is not a place you want to be with, with Malik Murphy. It's not a place you really want to be with anybody as your quarterback, but definitely with an inexperienced quarterback, you don't want to be in that kind of position. So I I, I hope, Trey, we see a guy that uh, is a little bit smarter with the football, is a little bit quicker in how he goes through a play, and mi- just minimize the mistakes. Like, there, there were some balls he threw last week that shouldn't have. So just realize, just look, trust your defense, trust your special teams. As long as you reserve the right to punt, as long as you don't turn the football over, we're going to be fine. I think that's really well said. And I also think back to last weekend's game, as helpful as it was that Xavier Worthy returned that punt for a touchdown, it also bailed the offense out in a sense from ever really having to get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like this Texas offense had two drives that went for more than 50 yards. The touchdown near the end of the second or near the end of the second quarter, which was a nice drive, mm-hmm. it was six runs, four passes. And then a second half drive that also started on the 25 and ended inside the BYU five with another failed red zone attempt. You were also run heavy on that drive too. Mm -hmm. Take the cue there. You know that they've looked at the film. They've seen the throws that Malik Murphy did a good job with and those that he didn't, and they need to adjust accordingly. But I do wonder also though, because we saw them calling more plays at the line of scrimmage in terms of the throws they were asking him to make versus throwing it downfield as the game went on. Like they, they saw some of what you just referenced and what I've talked about over the last couple of days that they're being three to five balls that a good defense yeah. It's going to turn at least a couple more of those into turnovers. I feel like you've got to – I hate the term establish the run because, man, unless you're Dana Holgerson or, or Mike Leach, the late Mike Leach, you don't really care about establishing the run. Everybody wants to. But maybe you try to take a play-action shot early. I always heard this. My man Rod Baber said this a few years ago. You can take a play-action shot early because it hasn't been established yet that your run game sucks. That defense doesn't know if your run game sucks yet or not. Just take a play action shot early. I, I I might be inclined to if I'm start to maybe take another deep shot or two that you were hesitant to take last week because you fig you got to figure K State's gonna be loading up to stop the run. Yeah, you got to figure that. And man, this K State secondary is not great. Terrence, New- Terrence Newman's not walking through that door. <laughs> you know, it's not a great K State secondary. So trust Ad Mitchell and Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington to win some one on ones down the field. I like that plan a lot, and I'm just generally speaking a big believer in letting quarterbacks operate off of play action. I don't care if you're an experienced quarterback or an inexperienced quarterback. If you have any semblance of a run game that is a threat, and the Texas rushing attack is more of a threat than their passing attack right now, you can use that as a weapon to get your quarterback more comfortable and give him easier throws, especially throws that aren't right at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan Tannehill's best year or best years in Tennessee weren't because Ryan Tannehill all of a sudden became an incredible quarterback. They were great because Derrick Henry was a beast running the football yeah. and he operated off of play action more than any quarterback in the league that year. 
And his stats were reflective of it too, and also having AJ Brown. Yeah. And it's strange too. Like Sark Sark learned a lot of what he knows offensively from Norm Chow from that BYU tree with Lavelle Edwards and then at, and then at SC. But you got Paul Christ. You know, Paul Christ more so than Sark, but Sark too. A lot of a lot of what they believe offensively jives with North Turner because they both work for North Turner in the NFL. Well, go back to those early 90s Cowboys, Trey. Mm. What, what were those early 90s Cowboys doing all the time? Find me a Troy Aikman highlight that's not off a of play action. Yeah. You know, and they love using the tight end. North Turner loves using the tight end. You know, if Jatavian Sanders is healthy, if, if JT's healthy, which I don't know, he may or may not be, but man, Gunnar Helm should have shown you enough at this point that you feel like you can make him more a part of your passing. Like CB's in the chat asking about Jonte Cook. If Quinn Ewers was your quarterback, I have no no question you'd see Jonte Cook more. But now, and, and this is up to Sark and Chris Jackson to have this conversation with Jonte Cook, developing Jonte Cook and making sure he's getting reps that's going to take a backseat to survive in advance. You just got to do whatever you need to do to get you to the next game, get you through the next week until Quinn comes back. And then when Quinn comes back, more of the offense is open. Now maybe you can get John Tate Cook involved again. But until then, it's what do you need to do to win the football game? That should be – not that that shouldn't be your goal every week, but especially now because what's your other option at quarterback if things go wrong with Malik Murphy? Arch Manning, who hadn't played a snap all year. So – you don't you're 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 down to what's the best you're almost you're not down to the arco principle yet trey what's the best bad idea you've got but you're you're one you're one play away from getting the Uh oh i just lost you jeff i got oh did you lose me okay you You were one play away from arch manning coming to the game is that what you were just yeah yeah uh, yeah, I agree with that. And by the way, Jonte Cook might make sense simply because both he and Malik Murphy have been second teamers throughout the course of the year. And maybe there's a rapport established there, but I do ultimately agree with you too, that you need to do whatever it takes to win this game right now. And, and yeah. trying things out should not be the uh, first order of business. Even if we think that Jonte Cook deserves more of a chance, this game may not be that game. Steven, who, by the way, clarified that the TikTok tray was uh, all about me being on the clock for killing, killing Todd Marinovich, which I would argue that, assuming that he's not sober now, it would be the drugs that killed Todd Marinovich. He's asking if we think that Cam Williams would be the guy stepping in for Christian Jones tomorrow if Christian can't go. Maybe, but I think... Probably what you're more like. Hudson, even though he's the Swiss Army knife, he's an interior guy. I, I would I would think you probably put Hayden, you kick Hayden Connor out to tackle, out to right tackle, and put Cole Hudson at left guard. Oh boy, I I, I, w- I would think that would be what you would probably see them do. Man, Maybe is at least Cam Williams show. still not that close to being a positive contributor. You know, it's weird. When Sark stops talking about guys, I just assume either a guy messed up in practice. That you usually what what we've learned from Sark over these almost three years now, Trey. When Sark stops talking about a guy or gives you like a one sentence answer about a guy, either that guy has been messing up in practice and needs to pick it up, or he's done something that just 
he's not developing the way the staff wants him to, not because of anything the staff's doing wrong, because there's something they're not getting or they're not putting forth the extra effort on their own, and they're trying to send a message on that guy. So I don't know. It, you're you're going to need Cam Williams next year. I mean, I, I'd like to think Nato Meazulu is going to compete for, for one of those starting guard spots in the spring. I would like to think that, especially like Jake Majors doesn't come back. I mean, you figure Cole Hudson probably enters spring as your starting center. Yeah. And then, you know, let, let Nato compete with, with Hayden Connor and DJ Campbell. So there, you know, you, you've still got, you've still got time with these offensive linemen. Um, but again, that would be the, do you want to – it would be whatever Kyle Flood probably feels more comfortable with because can you afford to experiment with Cam Williams? I might say the same thing about Hayden Connor. Do you do you want to roll Hayden Connor out there at right tackle and then figure out, oh, man, this isn't working? And then in the middle of the game, throw a cold Cam Williams out there at right tackle. CB says it wouldn't surprise me if Cook transfers after this season. Everything That's way I've too – uh, yeah. Everything I've heard about Cook, that would surprise me actually. Yeah. Also taking into account, by the way, that there's going to be a lot of playing time opportunities next year because there's a good chance you see your top three receivers not a part of this roster anymore. Xavier Worthy's going to go pro. Uh, Whittington is out of eligibility. And A.D. Mitchell very well could go pro, too. Yeah. It's one of those deals, too, Trey, when you talk about transfers. Like, name me a big-time freshman that's come to Texas – and I'll probably point to at some point during their freshman year, you heard some kind of rumor that, oh, man, this guy might transfer. That's just – and that's not a Texas thing. That happens to freshmen that don't play or that aren't maybe playing as much as people thought that happens at Alabama, that happens at Georgia, that happens at Ohio State. Um, it's just one It's just one of those things that you, you deal with. Yeah, there were transfer rumors about Xavier Worthy yeah. after his freshman year, weren't there? Mm-hmm. That's been a part of both of Xavier Worthy's off seasons. But like the kids nowadays are smarter and smarter than they've ever been in terms of the recruiting process because they've got more information now than ever. Like it's pretty much impossible for coaches to lie to a guy, you know, about playing time. Like you, you go to school knowing what the pecking order is at your position. Well, and some of these guys are also, believe it or not, folks, locked into NIL contracts that require paybacks if they decide to leave school before the contract is up. Yeah. It's a little silver lining about the system that's currently in place that may help calm down the wild, wild west nature of the transfer portal better than the NCAA could ever dream of. Imagine that. We've kind of let the... We let the boosters and the collectives take things over and dare I say order orders close to being restored. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the collectives are about to be under the athletics departments and signing these kids to deals that pay them tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousand dollars a year to play college football. But we're also still going to fight hard to ensure that these schools and athletics departments aren't having to consider the players themselves, employees. You know, that makes sense. You know, Trey, well, yeah, that's, that's a whole different can of worms. But what surprises me is the fact that some people don't realize with these collectives, again, not just at Texas, this is across the country. The people putting money behind this, pretty wealthy individuals, they didn't get rich by just setting their money on fire. 
they did it by making smart decisions that they felt were worthy of their investment, worthy of their time, worthy of their money. So this is not money. This is, oh yeah, let me get this guy. Let's get this guy 50 grand. Let's get this guy 25. Let's get this guy 150, whatever. No, this is, it's being done as, hmm, it sounds strange based on what I've heard some of the dollar figures are. It's being done about as economically responsible as something like this can be done, if that makes any sense. Well, especially at Texas, which has a bunch of McCombs grads and law mm-hmm. school grads. Yeah. Like they are definitely going to be buttoned up here. It's why once this officially went down, I'm like, oh, Texas is in a great position right now because we have the right people behind the scenes for ensuring that this is going to be done right and also done in an organized enough fashion that uh, we should be amongst the biggest spenders in the sport. Like Trey, you, you've, you've talked to some of those people involved, like in the Texas one fund, like those are not, that's not like, you know, you know, Billy Bob sitting up in section, like, you know, section 99 or whatever. Like these are, these are the best and brightest that this university has had to offer that are making these decisions. And thank goodness that they are. As a matter of fact, I don't think you'll have an issue with me mentioning this, but Mike Perrin, a year or two before the NIL thing, like that's something that he was working on to figure out how things look and how things need to be on the Longhorns end when this was legalized, because it was inevitable at that point in time that it was going to be legalized after, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the court case, but after that course court case went through the Supreme court that, uh, Texas needed to be ready to go. And so they, they made sure that all their ducks ducks were in a row and they were one of the first schools to announce a collective. And at that time they were able to offer, uh, a, a tax break for anybody who wanted to, uh, donate now since that's gone away. Thanks, NCAA. But Austin NCAA versus Austin Trey was the case. Thank you uh, versus Austin. I said NCAA. Thank you, IRS is what I meant to say there. That was the <laughs> IRS's fault. But Texas was as ready to go as anybody at that point in time, and other schools have now followed suit. But I will, I can pretty much guarantee you that Texas is still doing the business and legal side of things with regards to NIL as well as anybody. And look, it's it's not cheap to do this. So no. that's why you're, you're seeing the Texas one fund, you know, constantly asking you know, Longhorn fans for your, your donations and, and whatnot. Well, they've had issues and I'm sure you've heard this also. They've had issues in other sports. Oh yeah. Yeah. To raise uh, the necessary funds. Like there was a, a bit of a come to Jesus moment, I guess with the baseball program last year where it's like, guys, we're, we're about to fall way behind. Yeah, our national competition and even our future SEC opponents based on how much money is being thrown around on the baseball side of things versus the realistic amount that we have to work with right now with this program, which maybe next to swimming and diving is the uh, the program that should elicit the most pride in the athletics department for the entire school, which my understanding is Trey, that's starting to get worked out. On the I'm glad side. to hear that there, there are once again, smart, passionate people on the job so it felt like it was maybe only a matter of time before things got right there i don't i don't think you know yeah they had other reasons for it but i don't think tanner witt and lebaron johnson would have had as high asking prices as they did in the draft last year if there wasn't some incentive to come back to texas did tanner witt come back to texas 
Yeah, Tanner Witt wasn't drafted. Oh, wow. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that's a great... Or he was late. I'm sorry. He was a late-round pick. A late-round pick. So the word was out on him that the likelihood of getting him to go pro was was pretty low. Yeah, and LB, LBJ, the same thing, too. I mean, you know, and, and guys, you know, guys in their positions, yeah, you can do that. Because especially LBJ, like LeBaron Johnson, he's, a, he's still going to be a draft-eligible redshirt junior next year, so he's... He's going to come back with plenty of leverage hmm. next year. That's the case for Tanner Wood too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, because Tanner Wood did get a redshirt year. So, but I mean, I, it's it's pretty much expected that this will be, assuming these those guys stay on the same track, that they'll be uh they'll be gone after the twenty twenty four season. Which, by the way, just a reminder: Fall World Series tonight, six o'clock at the Dish, and then one o'clock Sunday wrap up fall ball. Hey, let's take a quick look around the football weekend because it's a really good slate for college football, Jeff. Mm-hmm. A pretty good slate for the NFL, too. Final bedlam for the foreseeable future happens tomorrow. I think it's a 2.30 kickoff in Stillwater. Yeah. Oklahoma is slightly under a touchdown favorite right now. But I'm kind of feeling Oklahoma State in this game, even though everything about the history of this series suggests that Oklahoma is going to win one more time. <laughs> What's your feel on this game right now? This, this kind of reminds me of like Texas, Texas A&M in 2011. Like, you know, they're both ranked in Oklahoma State. I mean, think about this. Ollie Gordon's gone back-to-back 250-plus. He's got over 500 yards in his last two games. But, man, I don't know. It's just maybe it's just the way I view Oklahoma football. I, I have a really hard time seeing them losing this game. So I, I, Oklahoma's going to find a way to win this football game. Okay. How about one more Big 12 game? This is go- going to end up being the best Big 12 slate of the entire year. Oh, yeah. At Iowa State. Give me Kansas. I Because I just, I, and again, I'm, I feel like I'm always wrong about Iowa State. Maybe this is the week where their defense just doesn't deliver enough. And th- those two staffs know each other so well at this point. Mm-hmm. Um uh, give me, give me Kansas by maybe double digits. I, I just, I just feel like Kansas can just go there and out. That said, though, Trey, I know I just picked two road teams to win, and this is something that'll be more pertinent that'll be top of mind for me next week when we talk about Texas going to Fort Worth, especially if Texas wins tomorrow. Dude, everybody in the Big Twelve has been hot garbage on the road this year. Yeah, just, hor- just horrific. Like it's been brutal how bad teams have been in conference on the road so i mean only reason i'm going with oklahoma is just history tells you when you're in doubt just go with oklahoma and that rivalry but man i i wonder if kansas maybe they can start putting something together now i you know they're probably they're gonna need to win out and have things go right for themselves to to get into that conference championship mix but this is trey think this is a kansas team that's got a chance to be like an eight maybe a nine win team Yeah. It's insane to think about. They're they're a fun team to root for, too. I like Lance Leipold a lot, and obviously they were dealt a tough hand by losing Jalen Daniels for the season is what it kind of feels like right now with that back injury that could actually be him trying to uh, reach for that bag for a different program next year. Very strange timing that all of a sudden he couldn't play starting with that Texas game going forward. How about Notre Dame at Clemson? The Tigers with Dabo Sweeney just continuing to sound like a damn fool whenever he's going off on fans or media or anybody else, sitting at 4-4 and right now. 
I love I love texting the our our Texas Sports Unfiltered group text, and anytime I see something where Dabo Swinney just keeps shooting himself in the foot, um, I, I there's something I don't know. There's something almost comforting about the demise of the Clemson program at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, hey, hey. Kevin said it yesterday. Dabo is starting to uh, to give off uh, Mac brown in 2012 vibes very very much so man give me notre dame i just i have no faith in that clemson offense none any faith that missouri can upset georgia because i know no how about lsu going into tuscaloosa and beating alabama this is the test for that alabama defense like they got tested earlier in the year against texas and failed that test um what the hell happened to lsu defense lsu still can't play defense no. What the hell happened to them? I don't get it. By the flip, by uh, on the flip side though, Jaden Daniels. I did not expect him to be worth the shit as a thrower this year, and he, he has proven me wrong. Speaking of uh, the bad takes that we had in the preseason, I thought LSU's ceiling would be much lower because Jaden Daniels would uh w- would throw his way into it being lower. But the big problem for them right now, you're right, is defensively. <laughs> it's got to be bizarre world if you're an LSU fan. Like man. Got this dynamic offense that can score on anybody, but dude, your defense can't stop a nosebleed right now. It's, it's got to be the weirdest thing for that fan base. But yeah, I, I mean, again, for lack of a better, you know, for for lack of not really digging into this one with the time we've got left, it's really hard for me to see Nick Saban losing two home games in the same year. I agree with that. They've the been good defensively, and Jalen Milrow has taken steps forward as a uh, as a passer. Also, going back to Georgia Missouri real quick. Every time everybody thinks, okay, this is going to be the game where somebody plays Georgia close. That's usually the time Kirby Smart gets you know fire and brimstone pregame speech with his team, and they curb stomp somebody. So I, I'd be, I think it's more likely that Georgia mud holes Missouri tomorrow rather than Missouri winning that game. Washington is at USC. USC feels like they're coming across at the, uh, coming apart at the seams right now, but the Trojans are only three-point road dogs right now. Washington hasn't looked great the last couple weeks since that big win over Oregon. This does seem like a good time for Washington to flex that offensive muscle once again against a USC defense. It's just completely pathetic. Well, yeah, this, game is at, this game is at SC. It's at the Coliseum. It is. It is. So... I'm going to go with USC, man. I, I just feel like Washington. Now, Washington's a better football team than Oklahoma, but I feel like Washington's doing the same thing Oklahoma did after that Texas game where, like, you know, they played with their food for a long time against UCF and damn near lost the game. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Washington's been playing with fire way too much the last couple of weeks, and I think tomorrow it catches up with them. Wow. I like it. Like the upset call there. Man, I'm not planning on Alex Grinch suddenly playing defense. Like this is going to be whatever. If you're inclined to put unit plays down, take the over. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the smart bet there. And Kansas State, Texas. I like the Bevo's 26-21. I actually think it could be bigger than that. Because Texas has the ability to score now, put the ball in the end zone in all three phases. We've seen it, and and we've seen it multiple ways on special teams. Be a punt return, be a block punt. Uh, we've seen this defense either either get touchdowns or put the offense on short fields. So, I did, and again, it just I can't pick too many Big Twelve teams to win on the road 
this weekend, Trey. I just can't think that everybody in this conference is suddenly going to start playing well and winning road games. Uh, close game because Chris Kleiman plays in a ton of close games, but I think Texas has the better team. And as buttoned up as Texas is defensively and on special teams, I like Texas in a close one. What would it take for Steve Sarkeesian to replace Malik Murphy with Arch Manning? It would have to be at halftime, and I think it would have to be the first half would just be like there would be you would you would be doing yourself the program Sark everybody a disservice if you tried to talk him out of no no just let him could keep working through it like if he's like you know two for nine for six yards and three picks at halftime like yeah at that point you you oh have to God. yeah I sure hope that's not the case because if that's the case Texas is losing by a couple of scores too. Sark can't be that dog in the meme where he's drinking coffee and everything around him is on fire. Yeah, he can't be that guy. Well, he kind of did that with Quinn Ewers last year. That's the worry. That's true. But the Oklahoma State game is going to cause me nightmares for years to come, even though it was ultimately a pointless game in an eight-win season. But I just remember that was him going to Hudson Carr, who he didn't recruit, wasn't his guy. Now he can turn to Arch. But does he want to put Arch in that situation? I, that's that's the other question that I'm wondering about. Is you want his first college reps to be down 14, so that added pressure is on him to try and lead the team back to victory. But then again, his uncle Eli was always exceptional in those situations of bringing his team back to victory from second half deficits. And look before we before we check out for the the broadcast week, <laughs> if you really think the Manning family of all the families in football didn't have a really good plan on Arch's trajectory and what that was going to look like. I I can't help you with any BS clickbait articles that you're going to read. Mm-hmm. You're beyond help at that point. Yep. All right, Jeff, we made it to the end of the two hours. Always yeah. a fun slash random conversation. Appreciate it, man. Man, the Friday happy hour does my soul good. It sends me into the weekend on a good note. So uh, don't forget, uh, crown and anchor tomorrow for That's pregame. Right. Crown and anchor starting at 8.30 with Bucky BK. Kevin Dunn may make an appearance out there, too. Uh-huh. I'm not promising that. There's a chance that that happens. And I am uh, spitballing there. I've not heard anything to suggest that, but don't be surprised if Katie is out there for at least a little bit. And uh, you will be at the game covering it at DKR. Yep. yep. A little kegs and eggs action early in the morning. Kegs and eggs. Post game is going to be KD and Zay tomorrow because I'm hopefully going to be coaching my daughter's volleyball team to a championship. But I will watch the game at some point and have my thoughts on Monday. For Jeff Howe and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered, thank you so much for watching and listening today. If you're on YouTube, hammer that thumbs up button. Subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered on YouTube. and Download our free audio app if you have not already. We will talk to you tomorrow for pregame and then bright and early Monday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
morning with Bucky and BK at 8 a.m. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them.